Before we start, a quick warning. This episode contains some swearing. I remember thinking two things when he punched me, one of which was, oh man, I'm going to be really late for work. But the other thing was, what did he mean about the United Nations? For most New Zealanders, political violence has always been something that happens in another country. They weren't normal screams then. They were right panicking. And then like when we looked down the road, there was a woman laid on the floor. Now, as we embark upon an election campaign, it's a clear and present danger in Aotearoa. I don't think I have a day here where I don't have threats and attacks. You give up reporting them. I, I, I live with security cameras on my house and nearly every angle you can come in. I think it is a very real threat. Miss and disinformation is rampant across online spaces, with the 2023 election campaign coming into view. It's even seeped into mainstream media like RNZ. It frequently fans racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. The list goes on. It ferments hatred and division. Experts, community leaders, and even people who've been active players in conspiracy theory networks are really worried about where it's taking us. There are the physical threats and violent acts, and then there is the corrosive impact on our democracy. Does anyone know what they're voting for anymore? If I had continued to believe what I was invited to believe, it was going to become a whole way of life of protests, of fear, of spreading misinformation. Who can you even trust if you can't rely on your own close family members? Whether it be in a family event or or elsewhere, he's saying horrible things. It's uncomfortable. We want no part of that. We don't want any part of that at all, but you're father to these kids, right? So you're inevitably tied to us as a family. I'm Susie Ferguson, and this is Undercurrent, an RNZ documentary series on disinformation. This is episode four, Husbands, Brothers, Friends. When Sarah opens her front door, I'm greeted by a couple of things. One is a dog, and there are also wafts of a delicious smell of baking. She's just made cookies. Now, Sarah isn't really her name. We're protecting her identity for this series because of the risks to her safety. She spoke with me about her friend, who she says was... Very welcoming, um, very friendly, very outgoing, a lot of fun to be around. Really, actually, a fantastic person. That's not Sarah's voice. An actor is speaking her words. Sarah described having this friend for many years... They lived close to each other in a city in New Zealand. A few years ago, the friendship took an unexpected turn. Um, things changed around the time of Trump. I, I like to think that basically Trump ruined everything. This person that I actually thought was into the environment, believed in climate change, sharing the same values as myself, all of a sudden that came to just a complete stop, really. And the difference was black and white. And I remember the moment when they started talking about how wonderful Trump was. Uh, and I, I remember my shock, just the 
Yeah, even saying to my husband, did you know? And he said, no, I would I would have like thought the complete opposite. And then it only got worse from there. Because in 2020... <laughs> when COVID hit, everything took a very crazy spiral downwards. All of a sudden, I was lectured on how masks were used to control, how we should never mask my children, how the vaccine has got a microchip in it. Bill Gates is trying to control us. There are reptilians walking amongst us. They want to control us. Just a whole lot of really crazy things. And it was so super extreme. And just... I just couldn't believe what I was hearing, really. This sounds like um, QAnon. Absolutely. It's QAnon type stuff. This person is very, very strongly into QAnon, very strongly, and doesn't make any bones about it. QAnon is a right-wing political conspiracy theory that surfaced in the US in 2017. We are Q. It's a movement, man. It's the shift. I can feel it coming. Some call it the Great Awakening. Where we go one, we go all. It centres on claims made by an anonymous person posting on the dark web message boards, 4chan, and then 8chan. Can you talk about what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much. I've heard these are people that love our country. And so I don't know really anything about it other than They do supposedly like me. Essentially, QAnon believers think Hillary Clinton, Bill Gates and Tom Hanks, amongst others, are part of a shadowy cabal of blood-drinking and child-abusing Satanists that control the world. Oh, I definitely believe that, like, the Clintons, the Bushes, the Obamas. Is it possible that I'm believing bogus information? I mean, let's see. Let's see, Q. It started out as a fringe phenomenon, but it's seeped through to the mainstream, with followers taking part in the US Capitol attack and riots in January 2021. Okay, guys, um, the tip of the spear has entered the Capitol building. The year before, as the pandemic took hold globally, Q supporters flooded social media with fake news about amongst other things, COVID-19. Sarah says she thinks the way her friend spoke about QAnon reminded her of either a multi-level marketing scheme or a cult. It felt like every conversation was an opportunity for her to try and recruit me and recruit my children, which is why I feel such a strong disgust. Because it would happen when I wasn't around, the recruitment of my children. It was insulting to my intelligence, as if she knew so much more about the world and I was just this silly, naive person, clueless. I then learned to uh, close my mouth to make it in quickly and I just kept my distance ever since because I noticed there was no arguing. You cannot argue with these people. They're so far down the rabbit hole and they hold on to the belief so strongly There's just no getting through. And then I think she truly pitied me for my own beliefs.
In Sarah's home, she tells me how her family experienced the effects of her friend's influence. My children were told that, you know, they would die if they had the vaccine. It made me very cross because I've vaccinated my kids and I've been very clear on that. How did they feel ahead of having their vaccinations if that was some of the stuff that they'd been hearing? One of them was actually reluctant and initially said she didn't want the vaccine because of what she was told. And my husband and I had to sit her down and have a lengthy discussion and just say, no, some people we feel are misguided and we're doing this to protect you, but not only to protect you, but to protect your grandparents. This is the right thing to do. Things became desperate. It got to the point where I would feel like I was going to a bit of a cold sweat if my phone rang and if her name came up on my phone, there would be the instant panic. If I was driving my children home from somewhere and her car came up behind me, I would go down a side street, wait for her car to go past and then come home so she wouldn't see my garage door open. She describes feeling trapped in her own home. I would just stand in the hallway, stand below the kitchen bench, just behind the couch once because I couldn't get to anywhere else so I just ducked down. Ridiculous, I know. I mean... It affects how I live in my home. There are parts outside my home I will do at certain hours when I know this person isn't around, just so I know that I won't have that. Having to meet them, having to see them, having to defend myself. So what kind of things would you would you do at different times of day to avoid her? Gardening, or just even places where I'd shop, I'd avoid. I purposefully avoid a place I know she goes to regularly. I would do anything. It's always in my mind, actually. I'm always a bit on high alert. Were you frightened about her being close to your children? She became so worked up about this, wrapped up in this QAnon belief of children being taken and what have you. I actually feared that she thought I was such a terrible parent for vaccinating my kids. I actually feared she'd try and save them and take them. It sounds stupid. It's like it, it makes me sound crazy. But if you knew this person, you'd probably come to the same conclusion. So what did you say to your children about this? I told them they were never to be alone with her. Never to get in a car with them. Never. Sarah's struggle with how to handle the aggressive and pervasive assertions of her friend are familiar to a growing number of New Zealanders. In the previous episode of Undercurrent, two women, Martha and Fiona, described their realisation that there was no way of explaining their way out of friendships they'd made with people in communities of disinformation. Linda is another who grappled with a sense that saying nothing was like giving support or tacit approval. Yeah, it's easy to drift into contempt. Very easy. Because one of the dangers, I think, is if I don't speak up against these beliefs, am I colluding? You guessed it. Linda's not actually her name. She also spoke to me on condition of anonymity, so it's an actor's voice you're hearing. I visited her at her home, which was warm and inviting, with plush furnishings and a lovely garden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a great gardener. I love to grow our own food. So 
uh, that's what I do, and it gives me peace. Broccoli, I've got courgettes. I've got a lot of beans, but all kinds. Linda says she had her own brush with conspiracy theories a few years ago. No, I, I think that I had far too much time on my hands, really. I was reading and looking at things and getting myself really worked up and worried and anxious about things. And I, I definitely was suffering from some burnout, you know, from oh, long periods of work. I, I was in a vulnerable state, I think, yeah. And while she's moved away from all that, she has a family member who still subscribes to an extremist ideology. Otherwise, well, he's very generous. He's very caring, very considerate. So he isn't just that other irritating person. He's so much more than that. And he's funny. He's perceptive. There's a lot going for him. But she says... It's complex. He's complex. Um, vulnerable? Yeah. Now, that's not how I expected her to describe this man. Yeah, a person that I think has uh, suffered great losses in his life and has taken a very resistant position in terms of authority, uh, what he perceives to be the mainstream perspective... And he would fight, you know, to vindicate himself. He's quite bereft of people who care about him. And he's organised friends around him who share his beliefs that are his family. I think they're very much like people who choose to be in gangs. It's solidarity. Hang on. I've seen some of what this person posts in Telegram channels. I'd describe it as vile and brutal. It's dehumanising. Confronting. Violent. I'm surprised that I love him. But I have enormous compassion for him and other people who, who really struggle. How do... How did you get to that point or when did you realise you loved him? I know there's so much more to him. I see the father that he is and the person that he is and I know he has priorities and I can say that it's a troubled love, a conflicted love. So to hear Linda talk about him like this is eye-opening. It gives me pause for thought. People are complicated and can be more than one thing at once. When we're backed into a corner by social media algorithms, engineered to monetize and weaponize our outrage, it can be hard to remember that. It's time to introduce you to Chris. There's someone in his Fano who has antisocial beliefs. An actor's revoiced his words to protect his identity and safety. Chris says he has strong feelings about his family situation. Whether it be in a family event or elsewhere, he's saying horrible things. It's uncomfortable. We want no part of that. We don't want any part of that at all. But your father to these kids, right? So 
you're inevitably tied to us as a family, it's led to some really deep divisions where so many people, myself, have decided no longer to interact with him, which has led him to be more isolated, less integration with the family. And in addition to that, there's been an element of fear. And I'll be honest about that, he's quite an intimidating guy. He, he, he likes to be and gets a sense of power from that. And it feels like if you're around him, sometimes it can be great. Other times you feel like you're walking on eggshells. In case you're wondering, the reason all these people needed to be anonymous is because they fear retribution, backlash. They're frightened of being further cut off by Fano and friends, of what they might face in their communities for speaking out, or it might put them in danger because of their circumstances. The only way we could talk to them on the record and hear their vital stories was by disguising their voices. That tells you something in itself. Chris talks about the hurt and embarrassment, the fuckama for him and his family. Like, what he's said and done makes my blood boil. I feel angry, just disgusted me. Things he's put out on social media have, have been awful. I struggle with that. Deep down, I, I do have empathy for him. I, I do. And there is part of me that has some compassion for him as well. And I try to focus on that more than the negative feelings, if that makes sense. But I'm really kind of torn in two. I would say most of the time the feelings that I have towards them are highly negative. And although his kids seem to be very well adjusted and do well, I know there's damage there, Susie. And I'm resentful for that as well. He's had a hard life, and if he hadn't had a lot of his experiences, I'm not sure that he'd be doing the things he's doing now. But yeah, I just grapple with a range of feelings frequently. But at the moment, I would say there's a very strong elements of concern and worry and anxiety and a little bit of fear. Still, he's part of the Fano, And Chris says he's struggled to figure out how best to deal with him, realising he couldn't argue or debunk his way out of it. You can't really get a word in sideways. And there's no point of trying to counter it. So I will admit, and I'm not proud of that, I was quite passive. I can't, I can't really say why. I mean, I, I mean, I wish I had the confidence or the assertiveness to say th- this is bullshit, but, but I didn't. So, I, you know, I let him say what he needed to say and then just get the conversation onto something else. In hindsight, as a family member, I do wonder if there's a moral obligation there for me to have said something. Not that I think it would have changed his mind, but at least to draw the line and say, like, you can have your views, that's fine. But here we are as a family. This is not okay. And I didn't do that. And I regret it. He can have his views, but, but, but the need to create a boundary or, or, or to draw a boundary with him about when it's okay to say these things and when it's not, when the opportunity was missed. And there is other fallout for Chris's family, a legacy that goes beyond him overflowing onto future generations. Everyone misses out. Everyone misses out, yeah. That's true. And this may be relevant to the kind of broader story that you're looking at here because there are broader effects of, you know, uh, people who have 
hardcore conspiratorial beliefs because when it creates ructions or, or, or divisions within a family, that has cascading effects on other people. I, I struggle with it immensely. And I think about, you know, how I'm contributing towards that as well by being so reticent, not, not engaging with them because I'm part of that division as well. And I, I do reflect upon this. To, to, to what extent am I making it, it worse by taking a, a, a sort of overly moralistic stance and not trying to reach out, right? Not, not trying to kind of show a humanistic side and say, I don't accept what you say or do, but I will embrace you as family and your kids. I do I wonder about that. I wonder, I wonder whether just pushing it all at arm's length to make it easier for myself and for my family actually compounds matters and would lead to more permanent divisions which will end up affecting my children. So I do wonder in some respects, Susie, do I have a responsibility in some respects to think about the next generations in a family? Whether I should be making more of an effort to have to forge some form of relationship there so that, so, so that so the children are not the ones bearing the consequences. And I'm... I'm stuck with that and I don't, well, I don't know how to move forward with it. Let's go back to Linda. She has more to say about the idea of silence in the face of misinformation being read as complicity. Like, I think there's a fear if you don't stand up against something that you fundamentally find abhorrent, that you fear that you'll be colluding with that person my perspective is different. I think that a, a person who is espousing views and I find revolting requires someone to hear them because rejecting that person is just reaffirming their own perspective that the world is against them. And so I listen. I want to hear the little bit in their conversation where I can... You know, get in and I do that with curiosity and that person can hear that oh she's interested I can talk about this and maybe lead to the person questioning their own stance yeah yeah if contempt arises in me I block that ability to hear them and to remain connected I have to resist the contempt. This is not easy. In fact, it can be really difficult. Linda says she relies on some carefully chosen coping mechanisms. I guess it could be quite eroding in terms of emotional distress. But I have resilience. I can question my thoughts. And I can choose not to respond I mean, I can't help responding with horror. It's taken its toll over time. But I guess to survive, I maintain a distance. 
we're polarised on lots of different issues. You know, people who have political viewpoints that I find an anathema to me and my way of living. I want to live my life not in a bubble, but alongside all the myriad different perspectives. And I don't like that, but I have to live with it. And I want to remain connected to people who who met her in my world. And I know people can choose to change. And I know that there's always hope. You having a sniff? Back in Sarah's home, her dog's been going in and out to the garden and padding over to the sofa to be patted while we talked. Sarah tells me that Conspiracy theories haven't torn apart just one of our friendships. Unfortunately, the majority of my closest friends, even people I've known since the age of five, have now become very, very different. I think it's Facebook to blame for this, but it's also the influence of Chantel Baker. I've lost them to Chantel Baker, basically. The burning stuff. What? Oh my God. They started a fire. What kind of idiots would start a fire around all these tents? It's so dangerous. Whoa! Chantelle Baker describes herself as a news personality, becoming a familiar name and face during the Parliament protest, with a live stream from the lawn on her Facebook page. On the final day of the occupation, when violence and vandalism flared as police moved in, the numbers viewing her video peaked at over a million. Hers was one of a small number of accounts on social media responsible for the bulk of the most widespread false or misleading content at the time of the Wellington occupation. Since then, Chantal's funded a new career by garnering a stream of donations from supporters, filming what was taken by some to be pro-Russian videos from Ukraine and platforming alt-right conspiracy theorists. She's now a presenter on Voices for Freedom's online station, Reality Check Radio. The friend Sarah's talking about, Chantelle Baker's supporters, some are people she went right through school with. Because I've spent so many of my years building memories with these people. And a lot of things I've done in my life have been with these people. Yeah, all the photos, everything, just years. I mean... We're still civil, but it's almost kind of an empty friendship now because I think they may just wonder what happened to me. And it's funny because initially a couple of them weren't against the vaccine, but something they must have read or someone's gotten to their ear and told them, they did a complete flip and changed their minds and now sharing content that I would never imagine they would ever, ever share. What kind of things? Articles from quite right-wing papers. I don't even know if you call it a paper. Uh, One of them was a connection to Alex Jones. The headlines on Infowars.com. Update. New Zealand government steals baby from parents after they demand unvaccinated blood for heart surgery. Alex Jones, American far-right conspiracy theorist, creator of the fake news website InfoWars. He helped spread the Pizzagate theory, which is linked to QAnon and was successfully sued 
by the parents of children who were killed in the Sandy Hook school shooting because he repeatedly claimed no one died there. Another one shares uh, David Icke. It's not that simple. There's a whole big backstory before you... Former English goalkeeper and sports broadcaster turned conspiracy theorist and climate change denier. And it just blows my mind. I mean, David Icke? Oh, my gosh. Oh, you know, the world's run by reptiles. You you meet it on one level. Oh, that's crazy. Immediate reflex action. He believes reptilian humanoids walk among us. And in 1991, he claimed the world would end in 1997 and that New Zealand would disappear before then. This is my love letter to my fellow Kiwis. I used to be in media. Before that, I was in law. Yeah, oh my goodness, um, Liz Gunn. Former mainstream journalist in New Zealand who now platforms conspiracy theories. Never in my life have I seen what I've seen today in New Zealand. For For example, when Liz Gunn, she had the false information about the children collapsing in the North Island, they were quick to share that, and I I couldn't believe it. I mean, it didn't take much debunking, but it just seems easier to swallow it up than question it. Despite all of it, Sarah still refuses to give up on her friends. She can see a way through it, eventually. So I I haven't shut off any of these friendships, but I have hope that maybe one day... It's not about I'm right, you're wrong. It's not that. It's just don't fall for the misinformation. Please see who you're being manipulated by and where they come from and who they've been paid by. What is their reason for it? Your dog's going to sleep. Yes. (laughs) Sleep all day, this one. Sarah, Linda and Chris who you've heard from in this episode, share what might seem to be a surprising sense of hope in the friends and whanau they each have entangled deep within the networks of conspiracy theories, myths and disinformation. But it probably shouldn't be surprising when you think about it. One thing virtually all of us possess is a need for close relationships with other people. Most of us only have a few of them and will do an awful lot to protect them. These three people are first-hand eyewitnesses to the crisis of misinformation we're living through. They have valuable perspectives about what's going on. Chris, for example, describes the actions of his relative as shameful. They're bigoted and they make his blood boil. But he says his relative is also family-minded. And he recognises that in the past he's experienced deep trauma... Chris says he tries to look beyond the one-dimensional view that's most easily on show. I don't think it's helpful. I, I don't think it's constructive. I don't think it's looking at the bigger picture. I'll be honest with you, as far as I'm concerned, Susie, it's not digging into the core issue. Yes, it, it's not nice, it's antisocial, it hurts people, but why? What, what, what gets a person into the state of life where they want to hurt other people? That's the real question. And we acknowledge that, you know, first and foremost, he's a human. He's a person who's been shaped by his past. And it's hard, God knows it's hard, to to learn to have some degree of empathy and understanding. And if empathy and understanding is not something that we seek to elicit through stories and media, then ultimately, I don't think it's helpful. And in in fact, I think it's contributing more to the issue. 
next time on Undercurrent. Having to forever explain to my boomer parents that no, the latest theory that they've just read is not accurate. Because these are people that have grown up with a mainstream media that they can largely trust. Has misinformation infected mainstream politics in New Zealand? We have seen in particular conspiracy theories um, from Winston Peters' side increasing in our data. And I think this is a sign of being desperate. And if it has, what would that mean for our democracy? Well, I think there is a point at which the country becomes sort of largely ungovernable. Undercurrent is an RNZ series created, produced and presented by me, Susie Ferguson. It was written by Susie Ferguson and John Hartfelt. It features the voices of Vivian Bell, Richard Chapman, Francesca Ems and Carmel McGlone, produced with Duncan Smith. The studio engineer is William Saunders. The executive editor is John Hartfelt. Our thanks and acknowledgement to the people who spoke to us for this episode. For more information and resources, visit our website, rnz.co.nz slash undercurrent. Undercurrent.